The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you I am a boat rocker. I will not wear the mask. 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 I will not wear a mask. I will not get the vaccine. I will not get the vaccine. And I will not get the vaccine. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust and I will not be afraid. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day. For the Lord is the great God, and the great King above all. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked chime? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of this I hate the work of those who follow it. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall stand On an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmonious sound. For you, O Lord, have made me glad through your works. I will you, triumph in the works of your name. are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. I will defy tyrants. 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 And with that, good morning, America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people. All the boat rockers are in the house and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty Radio Show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, blasting you out early this morning. <laughs> oh, sometimes the comments, you guys get me. You really do. <laughs> Coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsLibertyMedia.com. And for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warned you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us here this Friday morning. My goodness, where did the week go? It just went by so fast. In any case, if you would like to check us out online, SonsOfLibertyRadio.com and also SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio and you'd like to watch the video portion of the radio show, head over to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. Scroll down on the right side of the page. You'll see we are streaming there live. And by the way, yesterday on Rumble, if you were going over there, that was totally my fault. I was in a rush because Rumble didn't take it the first time. The second time when I went to put in the stream key, when I hit paste it, it pasted it twice. So obviously it wasn't going to stream there. And I'm thinking everything's right and... 
Thank you for those who let me know it wasn't, so I had to re-upload things there. So <laughs> we are streaming live on SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. Go over there. That's right. You can see the face of Made for Radio. Click on the icon of the platform we're on. Join us in the chat. We've got a lot of friends over there. Uh, always good to see you guys in the morning. And, uh, yeah, I just get tickled uh, because uh, you're such an encouragement to me. So thank you for every morning coming and putting up with me and <laughs> listening to my banter and raving and whatever else I give out to you. So I appreciate your support very much. We're also on beforeitsnews.com, top of the page there. We're on Rumble at Sons of Liberty Radio Live. So if you go over there and you do a search, change it from videos to channel, and look up Sons of Liberty Radio Live, one word, you'll see that we're live there. You can join us there as well. Great. Actually, one of the top video quality uh, is over at Rumble. Rumble and DLive.TV are two of the best quality videos that I see. Facebook just doesn't even compare. Um, but I know a lot of you guys are on Facebook, so I'm just telling you that that's there. DLive.TV at The Sons of Liberty. We're on Roku at uh, Cutting Edge TV, and we're on Twitch at News Tycoon, if you want to pick us up over there. Right above where we're streaming live on SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, go up, up just above where we're streaming live, and this is uh, Bradley's show from yesterday. You can click on that, play it up till 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, and then he's live here in the section right above where we're live, <clears throat> excuse me, and then just above that is where you can subscribe to our email newsletter. Again, we don't rent, spam, or sell your email. One email a day, including the Morning Show Archive. All the stuff we're going to talk about today will be in there. Plus, I, I've got a couple of things. Some of you guys were commenting, and I didn't I didn't see some of the comments that went by, and then some people left some stuff in the, the uh, thing on Rumble and some other chats yesterday about Sabbath and oh it's sa- it's Saturday and it's not Sunday and this Rome did this and that and you know what uh, if you're stuck on the Saturday Sunday thing I want to ask you and you're going to say Saturday I want to ask you are you following the lunar calendar huh because that's the calendar of the Bible and if you follow that then you got an issue with your Sabbaths the way you're putting it out and and let's throw in another thing Saturday was not even known back then under the old covenant. It, that's not how God laid things out. It was, just wasn't. So when you start doing things like that, you're missing the point. Six days work, a seventh you rest. How many of you guys are working six days a week? See, in America, we've changed it around to where we get two days off. We don't follow what God has said. We, we want as many days off, and we'll take them. Labor Day, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, any day that we can get to get out of work, that's what we do. Why? Because we're sinners. That's, that's it. The fourth commandment is a commandment to work six days. Have a day of rest. Okay? Maybe some of you need to repent in that area. I'm just I'm throwing it out there, but that, that's the case. In any case, I'm going ha- to throw in a couple of um, uh, an article and maybe two podcasts that might be a benefit to you guys on the issue of the Sabbath, uh, because we did touch on that briefly yesterday. So I'm going to throw that in the archive today, just so you know. Uh, real quickly, if you would like to help us out, um, we have a donate button at the top of sonsoflibertymedia.com. You can make a one-time donation if you like, or you can partner with us monthly as a son or daughter of liberty. If you agree with the message that we have here, uh, you don't look, I'm not asking you to agree with every little thing. All of us are different. We're at different places of sanctification. Some of us are believers. Some of us are not believers. And the point is, is that, uh, you know, the message is the same. It all points towards the Christ. And I want to show you some of that today as we get into this whole last day's matter stuff, okay? All right, so 
I think that's all of that in our store. This week, we're uh, highlighting the You Can Run Winter Cap. They're normally $10. You can get 20% off of those with the promo code FALL20, F-A-L-L, 20, the number 20 there, one word, and check out when you go over there and do that. And so I ran through that kind of quick, get that out of the way. All right, we've got a lot to cover here. Understand, if you didn't um, get to listen to my pastor when he was on, and we, we covered like... You know, Scottish Covenanters and stuff like that. Uh, I'll drop that in the in the chat too. And you've got to understand, I told you I would go through Matthew 24. And one of the issues <clears throat> that come up here is always the context. Context, context, context leads us into how we understand something. Okay? I'm also going to be dropping in the archive my interview with Clay Clark. Now, that's up on Rumble. We've had it up on there. But I'm going to drop it in because I don't see a place of how I can drop that into a show. It was like about 20 or 30 minutes, something like that. And he had a lot of good things to say. I like I, I like Clay as a person. I really do. And um, uh, he's been very kind to me on the phone and on the show and things of that nature. But here's the thing. You know, Clay brought up, we're, I believe we're living in Matthew 24. And, you know, I had to correct him. And he goes, hey, you know, I'm not going to get into an argument with the host. He said, I've learned about that. And I know what that's like. I've I, engaged in some of that myself. But you guys know me well enough to know I'll listen to people. I'll listen to what they have to say, and then I'll respond to that. So I can have a back and forth conversation with people that I might even disagree with, and that's fine. I think it's good. That was how I learned. I would go to the scriptures, I would read something, and I would come to my friends who had been through seminary, and they'd been pastors for for years and all of this other stuff. And I would come to them and say, well, wait a minute, I'm reading this. You told me to look and stay in the context. It sounds like it's saying this. Well, no, it's not saying that because we play Bible ping pong and jump all over here to make it say what we want it to say. And this is how cults work, by the way. They like to do a lot of Bible ping pong. Now, I'm going to reference other passages of Scripture to make the point of what we're going to look at here in just a minute in Matthew 24. But I want you to understand right off the bat, to teach through Matthew 24 would take minimum 12 weeks, I'm thinking, <laughs> 15 weeks at the most, okay? Because I do come from a people that believe in expository preaching. In other words, you pick a bi- book of the Bible, you get the background, you get who it was written to, when it was written, who wrote it, and you get all that background and you lay it out, and then you start looking at, okay, why did they write this? You go through verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the book, so that you can't come up with your own little thing, even though I've seen some people doing it, um, and make it say what you want to say. Now, there's some people who could do it, but other, other, otherwise, you normally have to stay in the context. The context is going to bear out what the meaning is. And see, here's the thing, guys. I want you to understand something. When when we do this, we get the proper interpretation. It's not Tim's interpretation. It's not such and such as interpretation. You know, Peter says, no bit of Scripture is what? Given by any private interpretation. But holy men of God were moved by the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's what Peter tells us. So when we come to Scripture, we've got to look at it in this context. So yesterday, it was a great—I I wasn't even planning on it, so— as far as I'm concerned, it's the Spirit of God doing it. Because we were talking about <laughs> we were talking about Jesus breaking the law, right? So one of the things that I ended on was Matthew 23. 
And you remember I was rattling it off really fast, really quick. And Jesus is in the temple, and he is addressing the Pharisees. Okay? And I rattled off all these woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Right? There's like seven of them in the chapter. And he's condemning them. He's condemning them. He says in verse 24 of Matthew chapter 23, Ye blind guides, which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Remember, he, they, they pay tithe of mint, anise, and cumin. You know, the tithe was part of your produce. It was part of your livestock. It wasn't necessarily a money matter. It was what God had provided for you. Now, we do it today because we don't have an agricultural society, which is a shame because that's all going to fall in on us when this dollar collapses, when all this stuff goes, and everybody goes, how do I get food? See, God's made a way by which man can do that. And man says, no, we want to do it this way. Not that there's anything wrong with working in the city or you know, having a job like that, but we've, we've lost these abilities to provide for ourselves. We're ignorant of that. A lot of people are, of how to care for themselves, whether it is raising some kind of a livestock or whether it is planting uh, gardens and things of this nature. But people are relearning that, and I'm glad to see that. I really am glad to see that. But here's Jesus, and <clears throat> he talks about, you make, the, uh, make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they're full of extortion and excess. Does that sound familiar to you as well? Mm-hmm. He says, you're blind. He said, you're hypocrites. Verse 27, he says, For ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Okay? Let me see if I can scroll down here so we can get into Matthew 24. He looks at them, and he says this. And, and you got to keep this in mind. <clears throat> And, I, and say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, this is verse 30 of Matthew 23, we would not have partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. See, they go by the prophets' uh, uh, tombs, and they clean them up and make them look real nice and say, oh, we honored these dead prophets, but their fathers were just like them. And you know what they, you know what they did? They killed the prophets because they didn't want their positions of power taken away. They didn't want to be challenged. They didn't want to repent. They loved the praise of men, just as Jesus said. They thought they were God's special race of people because they came from the loins of Abraham. And Jesus looked at them and he said, no, you're of your father, the devil. If Abraham was your father, you'd be doing the works of Abraham. But you're of your father, the devil. So <clears throat> here's, what, here's what he goes on to say. Wherefore, ye be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers. Oh, Jesus, that you are not acting like Jesus. That would be the modern church. How dare you call these people serpents, generation of vipers, hypocrites? How can ye escape the damnation of hell? Jesus, how dare you? Don't we want them to come to the gospel? Huh? That's what modern America would say. But this is not this is not the Jesus of the Bible. <laughs> this what I'm reading to you is the Jesus of the Bible. Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men. Notice he said this. Who sent them? Who sent the prophets and the wise men and the scribes? 
He says, I sent them. And some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom he, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Now what Jesus does right there is he puts the bookends of the Old Testament. Don't come to me with your Apocrypha. That comes after uh, the time of Zechariah. Okay? Jesus just put the bookends. Genesis to the final book there, right before the 400 years of silence until Jesus comes on the scene. Okay? He just laid that out for us, right there in that one thing. And he says, all of the blood of the prophets is going to come upon you guys, the guys he's talking about right there. He's not talking about our future. He's talking to them. Okay? I want you to keep that in mind. He is talking to them that time. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon what? This generation. Now, some people want to say, oh, well, he meant the Jews, and so he meant this physical care. That's not what he's talking about at all. He's talking about, it. this is all coming on you guys. In fact, as he's making his way to the cross, one of the things he says is, to the women who are weeping, he says, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves and your children. Now, why? Because in 40 years, he's going to judge Jerusalem. And he does. Okay? In fact, when they're crying out, crucify, crucify him, crucify him, Pilate's like... I've not, this guy is innocent. I want to wash my hands of his blood. And the people cry out, listen. The Jews of the day who are gathered there in Israel for the Passover, in Jerusalem, cry out, his blood be upon us and our children. Isn't that interesting? This is exactly what Jesus said. The righteous blood shed upon the earth is going to be on you. It's going to be on you, okay? And on this generation. Then he goes back and he says in verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children? Now, this is the difference. He's speaking to two different people here. He says, there are those of you that I've just pronounced these woes on, you Pharisees, that he's speaking to in the temple. You're the ones who killed the prophets, and you stoned those who were sent to you, and I wanted to gather your children. Okay, so he's speaking to the people of Israel that he was going to gather. Even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. In other words, the religious leaders were always getting in the way, trying to, trying to stop Jesus from gathering his people to himself. That's what they were doing. And so verse 38 says, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Now, what is he talking about? He's talking about the very temple that he's, he's in, which, is, which he had come in before, and he said, You've made my father's house a den of thieves. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. Now he says, It's your house. It's desolate. It's Ichabod. The glory has departed. That's what that means. I think we read over, we read that passage about Ichabod, Earlier in the week or last week, I forget when it was. And then he says, he closed out Matthew 23, he says, For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye say, shall say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. All right? So this is all the lead up to Matthew 24. This is part of the context. 
Look at what it says. Again, remember, when it's written over here in Greek, one of the things that you have is you don't have chapters, you don't have verses. That's there to, to help us find things, okay? So the next verse, after he says this, that he's leaving their house desolate and all of this, is Jesus went out and departed from the temple, which was their house, okay? Just so you understand. And his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. Now, one of the things is, and I'm going to make reference to a couple of things here, okay? A um, couple of books that I want to recommend to you, and I'll have the links to these so you don't have to write them down. They'll be in the archive, okay? This is one of them, Last Day's Madness. This is by um, Gary DeMar of American Vision. He used to work for Gary. And uh, this is really good. Now, it's a thick book, but but I think many of you who are interested in this subject, you really want to understand what real Bible prophecy is about, good book to do, to pick up. The other one is The Works of Josephus. I feel like I'm a professor or something doing this. I don't know why. <laughs> but they're, they're good books to have on hand, a good resource. Now, Josephus was not a believer, but he was a Jewish general. Uh, first century, saw the destruction of Jerusalem, and wrote about it in his, his books here. And if you get the works of Josephus, this is the big volume. This is all this is all his books and stuff. You'll find some stuff in here that will really blow your mind when he's describing certain things uh, that are taking place. And I'm out of room here, so I'm gonna have to do these kind of with both hands. Another one is Jesus versus Jerusalem. This is by Joel McDermott. Uh, this is dealing with uh, Jesus's lawsuit against Israel, which is tied to the Book of Revelation. Um, it's tied back into Jeremiah, where he says, "I'm going to give you a writ of divorce." Okay, so all of that's in there. Um, another one is R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul is no longer with us now, but The Last Days According to Jesus uh, is a good introduction book to all of this as well. The Early Church and the End of the World, Gary DeMar again. This one is actually good. It's got a lot of quotes from uh, early church fathers and those who came before. And then finally, I'm going to read just a little bit from this. This is a very... Difficult book sometimes to get your hands on. It's Evidence of the Truth of the Christian Religion. It's by Alexander Keith. Uh, he lived from 1781 to 1880. Okay, And I think it's chapter 3. We did a video when I was at Nicene Council called AD 70. And it was basically almost word for word right out of Keith's book here on the destruction of Jerusalem. And the fulfillment of prophecy. Mainly Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13... The book of Revelation, all of this falls right into it, but we, we took his words and we kind of put, you know, a lot of different things that were going on there. So let's address this. Here we go. And again, I'm not going to be able to cover everything. I'm going to give you some kind of, uh, we're going to go through some of the, the passage here, and I'm going to give you some pointers so that you kind of get a big picture of what's going on. And uh, maybe we'll follow up with it later. Depends on what... If you guys want me to follow up with it, I'll, I'll try to follow up with it. i got to tell you, this morning I struggled with going over uh, Joe Biden's threats last night. Not to get off subject, but where he said, our patience is growing thin. We've been patient, but our patience is going thin. You know what? i got a message for Joe Biden. Our patience is growing thin with you and with your criminal administration, the one before it, the one before that, all those corrupt criminals in D.C., our patience is done. It's not thin. It's gone. We don't have any patience for you people. But that's not what I'm here to talk about today. <laughs> 
So we may get an extra show in today or tomorrow, depending on my timing, where I just walk through that and point out his hypocrisy, the lies he's telling, the numbers he's throwing out, or just wherever they're coming from in his lost mind. All right, so back to Matthew 24. So Jesus went out, we're told, and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. Now, what's interesting is this is Herod's temple, okay? And what they're doing here is the temple's being built. In fact, it's not even finished till right up before it's destroyed, okay? So he's addressing the temple that's standing at that time somewhere around 30 A.D., you say, what? I thought Jesus died in 33 AD. He was 33 years old. Well, yeah, but our timing is a little off, and you go back in history, and you'll find out that the years just aren't right perfect there, okay? So around 30 AD is when he's speaking. And Jesus said, this is what happens here, and Jesus said unto them, see you not all these things? What things? The buildings, the temple. Don't you see them? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, if you've heard any of the last day's madness, dispensationalist, Zionist, any of this stuff, what you'll hear is, well, there's coming a third temple. There's another temple that's going to be built, and it's going to be torn down, and blah, 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 blah. That's not what he says. He says, look at this, the surround that you're showing me. I'm telling you, ain't going to be a stone left on top of another. And indeed, that happened in 70 AD, where there was a fire started in the temple. The gold of the all of the um, utensils and things that were used in the temple melted. It got between the stones, and these are big, heavy stones that they were bringing in. If I'm not mistaken, it was limestone. I may be correct, incorrect about that. But they had big, enormous stones they put all this together with. And the gold got between the stones. So what did the soldiers do? They wanted that gold, so they pried apart the stones. They got all of the gold out of there that had melted and gone in there. And that's part of what you'll read in Josephus, too. So, he's he's telling you right there, he's talking about that time, and he's talking about that temple. Are we clear? He's not talking about in our future. He's talking about this one. Okay? All right? He's talking about this one. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? Now, what things did he just say? That there's not going to be a stone left upon another. That's the things that he's talking about. And then they said, And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Or a, a more proper translation of that would be the end of the age. Okay, the end of the age. Now, why is this important? Because Jesus has told them before, he said, there's an unforgivable sin, right? And that's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. In other words, you take something that the Holy Spirit does and you attribute it to Satan. You start doing stuff like that, there's no forgiveness for that. Okay? So, what he, I want you to understand their question. What is the sign of thy coming? Now, do the disciples really believe that Jesus is about to die in a couple of days? No, they still haven't got it. He's told them. You know, Peter rebuked him over the gospel, right? And he says, get behind me, Satan. He's told them he's going to Jerusalem. He's going to be flogged. He's going to be taken in front of the, the chief, chief priests, and they're going, to, they're going to kill him. But he's going to rise again the third day. They don't, they don't get that at all. 
they're still arguing with one another about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom, and do you want us to call down lightning from heaven against these people? Then they're not thinking of him going away and dying. doesn't matter how many times he tells them. So they say, what shall be the sign of the coming and of the end of the age, or the end of the world? Okay. And Jesus answered and said unto them, here's the things he gives. Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Now, here's the thing you've got to keep in mind. Scripture does interpret Scripture. That way we don't have to play newspaper theology. And let me explain what that is. Some people are know enough Scripture that they're dangerous. You know those kind of people? There are a lot of unbelievers who are running around trying to pin the tail on the Antichrist now. They're, they're trying to tell you that you know, Corona, and this was one of the things that Clay had up in an interview that I saw. He had Corona written this way, C-O-R-O-N-A. I want to make sure I get that right. And he put six. There's six letters. Now, he didn't take the value of those letters into it. He just said there's six letters. And then he brought the value of the letters over to the right side of the page. And then he added those up, and they were 66. And so that's 666, but that's not really what Revelation talks about anyway. It talks about 666, the name, the number of a man. Okay? Well, there are many, Jesus said, who would come saying they're Christ. And in the same manner that I've talked to you about the mark of the beast, and we can see how that was in history, the show's there, I'll throw it in the archive if I can remember, called What Was the Mark of the Beast? And I went through that, and I showed you what it was. And then we can draw application out of that for today. I do believe that we are living under a beastly system. Okay, It's not the first one. It's not probably not going to be the last one. And there are marks that those beasts give to show whether or not you're going to follow God, or whether you're going to follow them, the tyrants, the evil and wicked, or whether or not you're going to submit to God. Okay? So he says there's many who's going to come in and... My name saying, I'm the Christ. So you've got two kind of things here. You've got people who are coming in his name, and then you've got people who, obviously, they're violating the third commandment, right? You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who taketh his name in vain, right? So you've got people who come in his name. You've got people who say they're, they're a Christ. Now, the book of Acts, as far as I'm concerned, is a good book to see where some of this happens, Okay. Let me give you a couple of examples. Again, I'm just going to be touching on some things because I just don't have the time to go all, through all this stuff. This is <clears throat> excuse me, from Acts chapter 8. There was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard because of that long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed, Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. So he just jumped in with the crowd and he was baptized. Okay? And when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. And then Peter, being very much like Jesus, said unto him, Brother, let me pray for you that you get your act together. No, that's not what he says. He says, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And, of course, Simon didn't go pray. He asked Peter to pray for him. He didn't go repent and do that. All right, so that's that's one example. There are many of them, <clears throat> excuse me, in the book of Acts. Let me give you one more, and we can see this already happening, okay? So Paul and Barnabas are sent out. They go uh, and they sell to Cyprus, okay? And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. And when they had gone through the isle unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Barjesus, which was the duty, which was the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. And Elimus, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation. Elimus is none other than Barjesus here, okay? Withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. And Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him, and he spoke like Jesus too, just not the modern Jesus in America, and said, O fool of all subtility and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and darkness, and he went out seeking some to lead him by the hand. So you've got these false prophets, you've got these false Christs, you've got these false Christians, who you can see it in the book of Acts, it happens all over there. And these, I think the book of Acts is nothing more than the showing you the fulfillment of these things starting to come about, because Jesus says these are the beginning of birth pangs. Now, he gives us some other things. Verse 7, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Um, I believe that there's the, the word ethnos here, which means ethnic groups against one another. Uh, we definitely see that between the Jews and the Samaritans. Uh, the Jews of the day actually thought they were superior, uh, a superior race. Uh, this is why you will find even Jesus addressing a Samaritan woman. He says, you know, what are, what are the little dog? You know, what, what do I have to do with the dogs? I've come for the lost sheep of Israel. And she, and she says, even the little dogs eat the scraps, Lord. And he goes, you've got a great faith, even more than in Israel. So you've got this going on. Then he says, and there shall be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. Now you go, well, see, Tim, we're having all this stuff that, yeah, we are, because God hasn't changed how he deals with nations. 
He hasn't changed how he deals with them. He deals with them in the same way. But there's all kinds. How many of you guys remember where, uh, and I didn't pull this up, I only pulled up a few things here to make uh, points, but how many of you guys remember in the book of Acts, Paul is being taken to Rome, right? He's appealed to Caesar because the Jews are after him. They were ready to kill him in Jerusalem. The Romans got him to protect him. He ends up going to um, Agrippa and, um, gosh, I'm trying to think the other guy's name right now, but I'm having a block here. In any case, he's traveling towards Rome. He's on a ship, and there is a storm that comes up that tears the ship apart. We remember that. Paul says, nobody's going to be lost. We're all going to make it okay. Uh, but it tears up. The, and what we what we see there is there's a word in there for, if I'm not mistaken, and it's been a while since I studied the particular passage, but <clears throat> what you'll find is, is there's a storm that comes up, and when you get back to the root word of it, what you get is a, a term that where we get seismos, seismic activity, okay, that stirs up this storm. So it's basically an earthquake that stirs up the storm. We also read in the book of Acts, and many people are familiar with this one, Acts chapter 16, verse 26, and this is uh, Paul and uh, Barnabas in the Philippian jail. Remember, they're there in jail. They've been beaten. They've been there. It's in the middle of the night. They're singing praises to God, and what happens? Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. This is the beginning of what's going on as they grow, go throughout taking the gospel. And we're going to hit on that in just a moment, too. Festus, thank you very much, Annette. Um, thank you. I, I Sometimes I have a moment here. <laughs> he goes on and he talks about pestilences and famines. And he says in diverse places. Now, we know in the book of Acts that Paul is going throughout Asia Minor and he's taking up collections. In fact, he tells the people in Corinth, he says, on the first day of the week when you gather to gather, put aside something for your brothers in Jerusalem. Why? Because there's a famine that's going on in Jerusalem. There's a famine that's going on in Jerusalem. And so the people of the churches of Asia Minor are to care and love their brothers in Jerusalem. And because they've got to go between. See, this is the difference. Anybody listening to me who you're from India or Nigeria or wherever you people are, that you send me all these things, you load my message thing up with pictures, and you say, hey, brother, give to our stuff. Well, I don't know who you are, and I don't have a go-between to verify whether or not you're legitimate or not, so I'm not giving to you, so don't do that stuff to me, okay? And I've told many of these people that when they contact me. Paul was known between Jerusalem, the, the, people, the, the believers in Jerusalem and those in Asia Minor where he had planted churches. And so he could testify to the both, and they both trusted him. Okay? Now, uh, gives us a written word. Um, no, Saul, let me, let me explain something real quick, uh, because that's wrong. The hierarchy didn't give us the written word. The written word existed long before Rome and long before Constantine. Do you think Rome just came up with it 300 years later and said, oh, this is what the Bible's going to be? No, that's not what it was. All of the men who met at Nicaea were bishops who had been persecuted as Christians. They had been persecuted as Christians. And they already used those books as authoritative. And the ones that they brought in, there was a handful of them they didn't bring in, but all of the ones they 
put in the quote-unquote canon. The canon was there because God had made it the canon. That was long before then. They just agreed with God that this is supposed to be the canon. It wasn't Constantine who did that. It wasn't Rome who did that. Rome, Roman Catholic Church wasn't even around then. So that's not what it is. And the book of Enoch is clearly not the word of God. I mean, when you've got a guy uh, writing that the devil tempted Adam to marry Eve, does that jive with what you read in Genesis chapter 3 or Genesis chapter 2 at all? No. Many of the things that you read in there, the fallen angels are the ones helping men, that we should have pity on them. That is not of God. That's not what the Bible, I mean, that is in direct contradiction to it. I'm not saying it doesn't have some interesting stories. It does. But it's not the Word of God. That's not what that is. So just just so you're clear, I, I, and I don't, and a lot of people take that in. I got people who say that kind of stuff, and I, it's it's like, no, go back and look, think about what was going on here. So, here's what we have. Let's get back to this: uh, pestilence, earthquakes, and diverse places. And then he says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. So we see those things starting to take place in the book of Acts. We see it there. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall arise, and shall deceive many. Do you know that on the day the Romans took siege around Jerusalem, there were false prophets standing saying, the Messiah is going to come and save us. The Messiah is going to come and save us. Sound familiar to you today? There's a lot of false prophets who are telling you, Trump is going to save you. Trump is going to return. Trump is going to be reinstated. See, they have their own Messiah. And Trump's just fine with that because he's already tweeted out that he's the king of Israel. He's like the second coming of God. And people actually think that stuff. They'll tell you when you call them out on their idolatry. Well, I'm not really an idolatry. I don't worship him. I yeah, but they do it. They're doing it in what they say and they're doing what they do. It's no different now than it was then. In fact, if you want to look at last days of the United States, you're living in them. Unless the people repent. You're living in them. And he says this. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax wax cold, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Now, this is what we call, in the Reformed faith, the perseverance of the saints. It is different than once saved, always saved. Okay? Now, I believe that once God does save you, you are saved. But it's a genuine salvation. It's a genuine change of heart. It is being born again. And the one who is the author of your faith is also the finisher of your faith. And he's doing all the stuff in between. In fact, Paul says that our, we will and we do according to his good pleasure. So both our wills are controlled by him and our doing is, con- is spurred on by the power of the, of the Spirit of God. Okay? So... Endurance. And that's a good practical thing that we can bring out here because of the fact, here's what's going on right now in our country. We're being worn down. The people who are going to win are the people who are going to endure. Did you hear me? The people who are going to win the battle that we're in, good and evil, in the United States, are those who endure the most. If it's the Joe Bidens and the Kamala Harrises and corrupt politicians and big pharma, if they're willing to endure more than you are, they're going to be the winners. 
Christ has called us to be overcomers. He's called us to be victors. Now we see over here in Matthew 24 again, I'm going to jump into a couple of things because our time's running short. I may stay over a little bit because uh, <clears throat> I was hoping to move a little bit forward through here. Uh, <clears throat> and I have something in my throat. Um, let me take a little drink here. Okay. He says this, And this gospel of the kingdom, verse 14, shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Okay. So I know some people are going to say, Well, Tim, this never happened. The end hasn't come. The gospel of the kingdom hasn't been preached in all the world as a witness to all nations. Where in the world would you get such a thing? Are you out of your mind? Nope. I'm in the scripture. Now, let me ask you something. If you're a believer out there, okay, yeah, you know, salt, I mean, there's all kinds of cult books that point to the Lord of Spirits and Son of Man. Um, again, you have to go, is it compatible? It doesn't matter what it's talking about. It matters, is it in line with Scripture or is it in opposition to Scripture? And over and over again, it is in opposition to it. I'm just telling you, it just is in opposition to it. So, how do we know that the gospel was preached in all the creation? Paul tells us. Now, how many of you guys out there, you believe that Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the books of the New Testament that we have in the Bible? Most of you do. So, will you take Paul's words when he says, this is fulfilled? Good. This comes from Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. If you continue in the faith, let's back up just a second. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If, if ye continue in the faith, this is that perseverance, right? Grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard and which was preached what? What does that say? It was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. What? How did that happen? Well, the idea is the same as it is when you use the term all. Let me give you an example. Some people will read the scriptures and they'll say, well, all means all, all the time. That's all, all means. Well, no, sometimes it doesn't do that. In fact, we know it pretty clear. Um, you ever had to correct any of your kids that are a little bit grown? Well, everybody else is doing it. Well, no, everybody else isn't doing it. It's a figure of speech, right? Everybody else is not doing it. <laughs> so what does he say here? He says it was preached and <clears throat> there is some understanding here that most likely what he's saying is that it is throughout the creation this has been preached. That's how he's, he's using sort of a hyperbole, just like I was doing there, to say we've been all over the map. We've been all over through the inhabited earth. Um, you've got, uh, I, think it was, I think it was the Apostle John who even went up into the area of England, right? Um, you've got Paul who's been throughout Asia Minor. He was going to Spain. He got to Rome. So they were all over the place here. Okay? 
<clears throat> and so, yeah, but you know what, Saul? Paul, stone, Paul was a participant in stoning people, too. Um, so keep that in mind as well. Uh, so anyway, so we've got all this going on. And why is this? Well, remember, Jesus says this is coming on this generation. He's pronounced the woes on Jerusalem and their religious hypocritical leaders. Okay? And why is he doing that? Why why deal with Jerusalem the way they are? One, if you remember the parable that he says about the man who had the vineyard, and he had some guys who were supposed to take care of the vineyard, and so he takes some of his his employees and he'll send them one by one to check on the vineyard and see what, and they would beat the, the guy, the servants who come to check on it. And the man said, finally, I'll send my son. Surely they'll respect my son. And what do they do to the son? They kill the son. And the Pharisees knew exactly who Jesus was talking about. He was talking about them. That's what they would do. They were going to kill him. And so they're going to fill up the measure of their iniquity. As we read in the book of Revelation, the, the, the grapes of wrath, if you will, uh, the blood is being built up from those grapes. And we're hearing that God is going to tread out his winepress of wrath. Okay, upon the people. In other words, he's going to carry out that divorce, or shall we say, the stoning of his adulterous wife, Israel. That, that was the penalty for it. In fact, this is part of what you'll read in Josephus when they talk about 100-pound hailstones in the book of um, Revelation. You also read in uh, Josephus where they mocked Christ, the 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 um, the Romans would take and they would hurl big heavy stones over the wall onto the people, and as a stone was coming, instead of saying the sun is coming, they would mock it and say the stone, or the, they would say instead of saying the stone is coming, they would say the sun is coming, and they would mock the people over it. Fortunately, there were no Christians in there because they listened to the words of Jesus in Matthew 24, knew when the time was coming because he was speaking to them, not to you and me, and they got out. Okay? But why do that? Well, this is real clear. And, uh, okay, I'm going to go ahead and give this, and we'll continue just a little bit. We may go over just a little bit. So if you're on Red State Talk Radio, you can jump over to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, before it's news.com or Rumble, Sons of Liberty Radio Live. Why is this happening? When you go to the book of Hebrews, what is the point of the book of Hebrews? It is to put Jesus as superior to anything that came before him throughout the Old Testament, whether it was the priests, whether it was Abraham, whether it was any of the patriarchs, whether it was um, uh, the, the temple. It didn't matter what it was, whether it was angels. He was greater than any of them. Okay? And when we get over into Hebrews chapter 8, I want you to take a listen to why this is happening. Why the destruction of this old covenant system? Okay? Verse 5. Is that where I want to pick up? Okay, no, let's just go back here just a little bit. 
let's just read the chapter. I think I can do that. I may can't get it in by the end of the show, but we're going to this again, this is going to be on the platforms. If you need to get over there, get over there now and you'll be able to hear it all. Now, of these things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest. Now, who's he talking about? Christ, who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law. For or who serve under the example and shadow of heavenly things, the reality. What Paul says in Galatians, we're not looking for a postage stamp piece of land in the Middle East. We're going to the heavenly Jerusalem, or we've come to the heavenly Jerusalem, is what he says in the book of Galatians, right? As Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, that thou makest, thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, this is Jesus, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. These promises, guys, if you read the book of Titus, the God who cannot lie had promised before time began. Who did he promise it to? The Father promised the Son he was going to give him an inheritance. That's you and me who are believers, the ones who, who, for whom Christ died. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. In fact, the reason for the sacrifices of the animals was because men couldn't pay for their own sin. Now, the animals didn't pay for their sin either. It became an atonement or a covering for their sin until the Christ would come and be the propitiation, the payment, and also the one who takes away sin. They were pictures of what the Christ would do. For finding fault with them, verse 8, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I'll put my laws in their mind. Oh, isn't that interesting? All you people who say the law is done away with, he says he's going to put it in your mind. He's going to write them in your hearts. And I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people, and they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for thou shalt know me from the least to the greatest, for I will be merciful unto their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more, in that he saith, A new covenant he hath made the first old, now that which decayeth waxeth old and is ready to vanish away. And why? Because the Christ has come. He calls you to repentance and faith in him today. Guys, we're going to continue on just a few minutes here. Join us on sonsoflibertymedia.com. Bradley Minute at 3. We'll see you at 8 in the morning. Real fast talking there. (laughs) Okay. Welcome to everybody coming over from Red State Talk Radio. We appreciate you guys hanging on with us here. And let me just kind of continue with this just a little bit. Okay. What is he talking about here when he says... Let me bring this up. What is he talking about here when he says, That which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. He's talking about the old covenant system, this whole temple worship and stuff like that. Look, as soon as Christ died, was buried, and rose again, and he ascended into the Father, actually it's even before that, but 
when he gave his sacrifice and he said, it's paid for, it's done, paid in full. All sacrifices after that were an abomination before God. They might as well be Revelation chapter 2, the synagogue of Satan. Because they trampled the blood of the Son of God underfoot and counted a common thing. Jesus is, this is what the writer of Hebrews is telling them. He says, where can I read what you're reading out? Uh, that's, this is in Hebrews chapter 8, uh, Ebony. Uh, this is in Hebrews chapter 8 that we're going through. I'll have, I'll have all these linked in the archives so you can just go to them, at least the ones that I'm referencing here. Okay, Some things I'm telling you off the top of my head that I didn't pull out here, so you'll have to probably go back through it and you'll hear what I say. Anyway, the, the main things are here. So part of God destroying that old system that all these alleged Jews, and most, I gotta, I'm just going to tell you, the vast majority of people who call themselves Jews, don't even, they're not even Semitic people. They, they clearly look like you and me. They look like they're Europeans. Okay? They, they look like European people. Why? Because they have a heritage there. Give you a hint. Uh, 13th tribe. Just throwing that out there if you want to read that. So Hebrews goes on, and in the very next chapter, the very next verse, here's what is said. Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary, for there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. After that is the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. And he goes through all of these things, okay, and... He says, but into the second went, verse 7, went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. So the priests always had to make a sacrifice for themselves before they made a sacrifice for the people. And they better take it serious lest they walk in there and they get struck dead. And there's the stories that they used to tie a you know, a rope around their ankle in case they died in there and nobody could go in except the high priest so they could pull him out if he was dead, okay? Yeah, the 13th tribe, Janice, just look that up on Amazon. You can, uh, you can read about where a lot of the occultic modern, you know, kind of Judaism stuff goes from, comes from. Okay, so why is this important? Because... That's going to all be done away with. All of the feasts, all of these sacrifices, the temple worship, all this stuff is done away with because we have the reality. We don't have types and shadows and pictures anymore. We have the reality. Verse 11 of chapter 9 of Hebrews. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, that's himself, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place. Not every year, once, one time, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth through the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they were all called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance, for where a testator is, there must also of necessity be the death 
of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Wherefore, whereupon, neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book, that's the law, and the people. That's where the covenant is. They were bound to keep the law. And the blood was an issue there. Why? Because God was going to require it of them if they broke his covenant. Saying, this is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined to you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. But check this out. He comes down here in verse 24 and he says, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, not everybody who ever lived, but of many, just like he said, this is the cup of my, this is uh, when he took the cup at the Lord's um, Supper the night before he was betrayed. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood shed for many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. All right, so again, he's without sin. This goes back to yesterday's talk about he didn't break the law. Okay? All right, now, quickly, back to Matthew 24. Because this one, I think, is a pretty big one. All right? And I want to kind of tie this in with, again... Keep in mind the Olivet, this is what we, Matthew 24 is what we call the Olivet Discourse for people who don't know. And the Olivet Discourse is recorded in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. And it's my argument that John is the only writer who didn't have an Olivet Discourse. The Gospel writer who didn't have an Olivet Discourse. And I believe that the book of Revelation is his Olivet Discourse in vision form. Okay. And I could, it would take us a long time to go through, but that's that's what I that's what I do believe. Uh, that's there, and I've given you some stuff. Phil Kaiser, if you want to look him up, uh, has some great commentary on that uh, that he's put out. He's got a sermon series. I'll put the link for that for Revelation. Those of you who want to get into that, there's about ten sermons that's nothing but background to build up before he teaches you. And there's about a hundred sermons in all on the Book of Revelation, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, staying in the context. Okay. Um, and he always references back to Scripture why certain things are said and why they happen the way they happen. So I'll put that in there for those of you who are interested. Back to Matthew 24. We left off at verse 14. Look at what it says now. When ye therefore see the, shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand... Okay, so Matthew is, he's talking about this, and then he, he interjects. That's why, you know, they've kind of, the, the, the uh, translators have put in this little parentheses here 
of what he's what he's writing. Whosoever readeth, let him understand, because the reader is not the one necessarily, uh, at least today, is not the object of the writing. It was those to whom Christ was speaking to. Okay? And he says, Let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world, to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Now, Immediately, everybody will jump to the end of the world, and they'll say, everybody, uh, that you know, if, if this isn't stopped, then all the people in the world are going to die. Well, that's not what he's got his focus on, is it? What's he got his focus on? What did we start with with the context of what's being spoken here? He's got his focus on the temple and Jerusalem. That's where his focus is on. He's not talking about all the world. He's talking about the temple and Jerusalem. That's the context if if you're going if you can agree with me that so far we've stayed in the context and this is about Jerusalem it's about this generation that it's going to come on and and it did happen 40 years later and again um Alexander Keith I I really want to read some of that and I may do that in just a second but he says there's a great tribulation that's going to happen that hasn't happened since the beginning of the world and why Because God is carrying out the covenant curses against the people, Deuteronomy 28, Leviticus 26, the book of Revelation. He's carrying those things out on the disobedient people, unrepentant people. And if you read Josephus, it is horrifying. There are areas in Israel that you could not walk because of the piles of bodies and the blood that had pulled up. And Josephus records it. It's it's horrifying. The fact that people were besieged by Rome in the city till there was no food to the point where mothers were cooking their children. And in one case, one of them was doing it in secret, trying to hide it. And the gnawing at the of the stomachs of the men around arose the the aroma of this child being cooked and they went and hunted down the mother to get a piece of her child this is how this is this is where god lets people go in in his judgment you think it's bad now you ain't seen nothing yet unless people repent unless people repent no m- satan is evil but men are evil too men are evil they're not naturally good. That's why they need a savior. So what is this what is this uh, abomination that's spoken of by by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place? And people think, "Oh, well this is an image to the antichrist and we got to pin the tail on the antichrist so that we know you know what the image is and blah 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 blah." blah. Yeah, that the the eating your children is found in Deuteronomy 28. You'll eat the fruit of your womb. He tells you that. Guess what, guys? We've already had uh, reports out to where they're putting aborted fetal cells as flavoring in some of you guys' favorite little snacks and drinks, Pepsi and Doritos and all that other. They're already doing it to you. 
and you're none the wiser for it. See how the judgments of God just fall right in line? They're very relevant today. So what's this abomination of desolation? Well, when we go over and we read the parallel uh, in Luke chapter 21, and again, just quickly, here's how he sets it up. He looked up and saw the rich men casting their gifts in the treasury, and he saw also a a certain poor widow casting in thither two mites. Uh, This is, of course, you guys are familiar with the widow's mites. He talks about these things going on. Um, And let's see, uh, these gifts. Um, So he comes down to, excuse me, verse 5, And some spake in the temple how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts. He said, As for these things which ye behold, the days will come in which... There shall not be left one stone upon another. Sounds just like Matthew, because it is. It's just Luke's account of it. And Luke is not an eyewitness. Luke is a journalist. He's a historian. He's a he's a guy who went around, and he tells uh, Theophilus who he's writing the Gospel of Luke to, and who he also wrote the book of Acts to. I'm going back. I'm getting the eyewitness accounts. I'm writing it down as they, as they give it to me. And he's being led by the Spirit of God, and he writes this stuff down. He pins it down. And, of course, they ask him the same question. When's, this, when's these things going to come to pass? And so he goes through and he tells them all this stuff. Okay, Same stuff that we read over in Matthew. And then he comes down and he leads right up to the same position, and this is what he says. And I believe this is what the abomination of desolation is. And when ye see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. And he tells them the same thing. Let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out. So do you want to know what the abomination of desolation is? Well, it happens when Jerusalem's encompassed by armies, the Roman armies. And Jesus says, get out of the city when you see that starting to take place. Get out. Don't look back. Don't be like Lot's wife and look back. Just whatever you got, get out of the city. And let me tell you something. No Christians were trapped in that city. We have no record of Christians trapped in the city. They got out. They survived. Why? Because they listened to the word of Jesus. They listened to the word of Jesus. So, again, this isn't all of Matthew 24. We can go through the rest of it, uh, maybe at a later time or something, and I'm happy to do that. Uh, But it's to give you an understanding that when somebody comes to you and says, we're living in the middle of Matthew 24, no, we're not. No, we're not. This was for a specific time, a specific people, a specific city, a specific nation that was disobedient to God. And it ought to be a good application, listen to me carefully, for those of us living in the United States, as well as any, as well as any nation on the planet. Why? Because God does not change. He is immutable. He is holy. He is just. He cannot bear to look upon sin. This is why we need the Christ. And so what you've got to understand is when the people are running around with their last day's madness, oh, I know what 666 is. Oh, I know what the mark of the beast. Let me tell you something. There's plenty of application for all of that. I've said that over and over. I believe these shots that they're pushing on us is a direct application for Mark of the Beast. Why? Because you're either going to submit to God and what he said, or you're going to submit to man. You want to know what the Mark of the Beast is all throughout history as far as application? It's just that. 
you're going to either think and do according to what God has commanded, or you're going to think and do as to what man tells you. Which one is safer to be in? Man or in Christ? I think it's pretty clear. (laughs) Psalm 91 tells us if we hide ourselves in the shadow of the Most High, what does He do? He protects us even from the perilous pestilence, from the arrow that flies by day, the terror by night, all of that. There is refuge in the Lord. And so, when we look at things like this, this is where we have to correct people, and there's a bunch of them in America in what is called dispensationalism. There's another book. There were, I was pulling some books. Just I wanted to give you guys, in case you, you're interested, these books that I mentioned, I'll have, I'll have links up for them in the archive, but one of the things I, I found, and I still find very helpful today, because I don't know everything either, okay? I mean, I can be corrected on stuff. <laughs> corrected every Sunday that I go in and sit under my pastor. I'm challenged. I'm pricked in my heart over sin. Um, but I find that if I have questions, I want to ask somebody who will treat my questions with honesty. They'll take me and show me why it is. In fact, I called my pastor up yesterday to talk to him a little bit about the Sabbath issue since we talked about that yesterday. And so... I want people to see this because, guys, all of this doom and gloom that we see in the Scriptures is was because Israel was disobedient. There is nothing to look forward except, except to except a judgment. That's what the Bible says. There's nothing to look forward to but falling into the hands of an angry God. And it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, the writer of the book of Hebrews says. But the New Testament, and all throughout the Old Testament, actually, for those who are in the Lord, for those who have their faith in Him, guess what? There is victory. Not doom and gloom. There is victory. Was it not Jesus who said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church? Oh, yes, it was. So why are people that call themselves Christians who take God's name in vain saying the world's going to hell in a handbasket, there's nothing we can do, it's written, blah, 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 blah. And they have no idea of what the context of what they're talking about is. It's because, very clearly, there's one of two things. They've been taught error just like I was. Just like I was. I was taught this error until I had to go and teach a Sunday school of young people. And I knew the safest place for me to be was sticking in a book, verse by verse, Reading what the background was, I had to search out different commentaries to find out some of this stuff. I had to do some digging, too. I had to learn to look up words and this, that, and the other. And I came to a much different conclusion than those who play Bible ping pong, jumping around, making stuff, trying to fit like it's a jigsaw puzzle kind of deal. That's not what this is at all. I'm telling you this so that you don't get bogged down in seeing stuff like this and say, oh, this is me. Oh, we're, we don't have anything. There's nothing we can do. It's just going to happen this way. My friends, <laughs> this happened. It's already done. Let, let me give you a little something here. This is the book I told you about, Evidence of the Truth of the Christian Religions by Alexander Keith, 1781 to 1880 was when he lived. And... You know, there is uh I think this is where I had I was gonna yeah, this is what I this is what I was gonna read. Now again, this isn't 
you don't hear a lot of this in the modern era here in America from the pulpits. I'm just going to read you just a passage out of this because the book is incredible. If you if you guys have read what's the guy's name Josh McDowell, uh, Evidence that Man Devans a Verdict, and all these guys, I mean they're okay. They're okay. Don't get me wrong. They're okay. But Alan will probably have to do a show on that. Well, actually, I've done a show on that. Who is the Israel that you're talking about? Because the Israel of God is the church, period. The church that existed in the wilderness, Acts chapter 7. That's the Israel of God. Read the book of Galatians. You'll find out who the Israel of God is. Is the people who have the faith of Abraham. doesn't matter if they're Jew or Gentile or whatever they are. If they have the faith of Abraham... They are the children of Abraham, therefore they are Israel. Okay, So, so if, you, if you need to, to check that out, you can go to sonslibertymedia.com, put in Israel, and you'll probably find some of the shows that we've done, especially the ones where we brought uh, Chuck Baldwin on to talk about that. Uh, it's very clear to find out who the real Israel is, and I encourage you to do that, to look that up on your own. Here is from chapter 3 on the destruction of Jerusalem. This is Alexander Keith, and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of close out with this, okay? Bear with me just a little bit, because I don't have it on a screen to, uh, to show you. So listen to what he says. Moses and the other prophets foretold also that the Jews would be left few in number, that they would be slain before their enemies, that the pride of their power would be broken, that their cities would be laid waste, that they would be destroyed and brought to naught, plucked from off the land, sold for slaves, and that none would buy them that their high places would be desolate, their bones to be scattered around their altars, that Jerusalem was to be encamped round about, and to be besieged with a mount, to have forts raised against it, to be uh, plowed over as a field, and to become heaps, that the end was to come upon it, and that the Lord would judge them according to their ways and recompense them for all their abominations, the sword without and the pestilence and famine within." He that is in the field shall die with a sword, and he that is in the city, famine and pestilence, shall devour. You guys remember those, those passages out of the Gospels where he says, there'll be two working in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. Two in the bed, one will be taken, one will be left. And everybody goes, oh, well, that's the rapture. It, it, the people who are taken are taken in judgment. I hope you know that. That's the context. They're taken in judgment. The ones who are left are the ones not judged. <laughs> I mean, again, context means a lot here. It really does. So he says, um, He that is in the field will, uh, shall die with the sword, and he that is in the city famine and pestilence shall devour him. These predictions relative to the siege and destruction of Jerusalem, again, this guy's writing several hundred years ago, which are recorded in the Pentateuch, that's the first five books of the Bible, and in the subsequent prophecies according with the uh, minute prophetic narrative which Jesus gave of the same sad event. Any adequate delineation of it alone would far surpass the limits of this treatise. But the subject has been fully and frequently illustrated, and the prediction harmonizes so completely with the impeachable testimony of impartial historians that it is merely necessary for the elucidation of its truth to compare the prophetic description with the historic facts, uh, historical facts. Besides frequent allusions in his discourses and parables, the prediction of Christ concerning Jerusalem are recorded at length by three of the evangelists. They are omitted by the Apostle John, in whose writings alone from the age in which he lived. This, excuse me, there insert some of the print is really light here. 
Their insertion would have been suspicious. They were delivered to the disciples of Christ and answered to their direct questions what they put in their surprise and alarm at his declaration, the fate of the temple. When shall these things be and what shall be the sign of them and of the end of the world? The reply embraces all the subjects of the query and is equally circumstantial and distinct. The death of Christ happened 37 years previous to the destruction of Jerusalem by the unanimous testimony of antiquity. The three Gospels were published and at least two of the evangelists were dead several years before that event. Copies of the Gospels were disseminated so extensively and rapidly that any deceit must have been instantaneously detected detected by the powerful and numerous and watchful enemies of the cross but they didn't have any evidence did they they didn't drag jesus's body out of the grave did they they knew where they knew where his grave was and they didn't do away with these these pieces of scripture that were being passed around you know that we some people say oh well, the scripture was written you know hundreds of years later. you know that we have uh fragments that we're finding all of the time of scripture from the first century just so people know, from the first century. So there's that. Now, I want to end with this, because this kind of comes to our own history. And this is in the Publisher's Forward. Check this out. How many of you guys have heard of Supreme Court Justice or Chief Justice John Marshall? Anybody ever heard of him? Anybody ever heard of Chief, uh, Supreme Court Chief Justice John Marshall? This is about him. This is in the forward to this book. It's going to give me just a second because I, I got to set it up in the context of what it's going. Alexander Keith was well aware of the importance of predictive prophecy. In a handed down story surrounded, surrounding the inspiration for his writing on the subject, Keith witnessed firsthand the power of biblical predictions. Hang on just a second. I got to have my tangy tangerine here. As my mouth's getting dry. Um, inspiration for his writing on the subject. Keith witnessed firsthand the power of biblical predictions. It is said that a young agnostic was giving Keith no quarter in his relentless denial of the truth of scriptures. Having exhausted many arguments on the young man, Keith finally asked him what he made of all the predicted and fulfilled prophecies of the Old Testament and when the young man said he didn't know, Keith proceeded to give him several examples. Soon after this, the young man converted to Christianity, and Keith realized that a book on the topic was sorely needed. The book you now hold, or I hold in my hands, is the fruit of that realization. A similar story after the publication of the book is told by Edward Giddings in American Christian Rulers. That's the name of the book. Giddings relates how Keith's book was instrumental in persuading Supreme Court Chief Justice John Marshall of the messianic claims of Jesus Christ in the days before his death on July the 6th, 1835. Giddings writes, Marshall believed in the truth of the Christian revelation, but not in the divinity of Christ. And I got to tell you, I think this was part of Thomas Jefferson's problem too later on in his life. I believe he was either on the verge of apostasy or apostatized by the end of his life. He started off so well. He really did. Therefore, he could not commune in the Episcopal Church, but during the last months of his life, he read Keith on prophecy, where our Savior's divinity is incidentally treated and was convinced by his work 
and the fuller investigation to which it led of the supreme divinity of the Savior. Isn't that incredible? The Word of God is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Now I know Alexander Keith is not the Word of God, I get it, but he's expounding on it. He's the preacher of the Word. To the impact of even somebody like Supreme Court Chief Justice John Marshall. Isn't that something? I hope that it is just as powerful for you today, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. The Bible calls us all to repentance. This isn't just a preacher pointing a finger at other people. All those fingers are pointing back at the preacher. The message is to all to repent. And one of the ways that we know, people say, well, prove to me God exists. Well, what I always ask them is this. Let's say a being in shining clothes comes down in our midst and he says, I'm God, worship me. How do you know it's God? Well, it's, isn't it clear? He came out of nowhere. He's floating in the sky. He's got this shiny stuff on and he's got a big booming voice. Everybody can hear. How do you know that's God, though? What do you do? God has revealed himself in his word. That's how you know who the true God is. And he says what will come to pass, and it does. In fact, he tells us that in the Old Testament. He proclaims the end from the beginning. He can tell you what happens and why it happens. Uh Uh-oh. Lost there. My screens went kind of blank on me. Sorry, I guess I hadn't moved anything around in a while. He tells us what comes to pass and why it comes to pass. Let me ask you something. Can the gods that anybody else follows tell you what's coming in the future, why it's coming, and what the purpose of it is? Nope. Only the true and living God can do that. And he's done it in the person of Jesus Christ because Jesus is God in the flesh. And Jesus says, if you do not believe in me, you will die in your sins. If you don't believe that I am, the I am of Exodus, who sent Moses into Egypt against the Pharaoh to defy the tyrant and to tell him to let his people go, if you do not believe that I am, am, you're going to die in your sins. The same thing is true for anyone listening to me today. And so the message is a message of hope. It's not of doom and gloom. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. You want mercy from God? You can have it. But you got to abandon your sin. you got to abandon your violations of the law of God from the heart, from the mind, and what you do, and what you say. you got to leave it behind. It's adultery, you got to leave it behind. It's theft, you got to leave it behind. You're a liar, you got to leave it behind. You're a coveter, you got to leave it behind. You're an idolater, you got to leave it behind. If you don't leave it behind, you're not following the message of the gospel. We talked about this yesterday. The woman taken at adultery comes before Jesus. Now, Jesus knows the law. We can go back to Deuteronomy 22. There wasn't a man there. He's supposed to be there, too, because they said they caught her in the act. And what happens after everything? Jesus Jesus says, I don't condemn you, but stop sinning. Go and sin no more. That's the message of the gospel. If you're not hearing that message from your pulpit or preacher, you're not hearing the gospel message. Plain and simple. You're not hearing that message. Guys, thank you for sticking with me. Gosh, that an hour and a half. Oh, that, <laughs> that went by 
really fast for me. Um, but thank you for sticking with me. I hope it's been helpful. If it has, if you know some people who need to hear this, please share it with them. Um, you know, if you if you want to, you got channels. I tell people all the time: look, you're freely we receive, freely we give. Take any of the videos, download them, upload them to your channels, share them on your social media. I don't know how far they'll go on that, but you know, do those kinds of things. Put it out there. If it's helpful and you believe it to be the truth, which I believe it is, I've appealed to the Scripture. Now, I've, I have referenced some history here, but history goes hand-in-hand hand with Scripture. It really does. And so uh, thank you again for being with us. Bradley, be with, us, uh, be with you at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. In the morning, Kate is going to be with us 8 a.m. and... I'm hoping, if you guys remember the elderly gentleman who, he got out of uh, Germany the last day in 1961 that they could get out before the wall went up, uh, she's supposed to interview him tomorrow. I don't know if that's going to happen live on the show or not. I'm kind of excited if that is, because I always find these, that I can learn something from all of those kind of people who have gone before us, and they have these experiences they can share with us about history and I, for me, I can always see the hand of God in whatever's going on, whether it's in judgment or whether it's in redemption. And uh, so you don't want to miss that if that's the case. i got to find out later today if that's the case, okay? You guys have a great day, and uh, we'll see you bright and early 8 a.m. tomorrow. Adios. <laughs>